0: You've probably said or heard someone say, you're the apple of my eye. Oftentimes, it's fathers the daughters, right? She's the apple of my eye. But have you ever heard anyone say, you're the bread of my life? Probably not. But that's our question of the day today. Is Jesus the bread of your life? This morning is Communion Sunday. Uh, Normally, we mention something about communion at the end of the service or just before we partake of the bread and the cup. But this morning, I want to take a deeper look at the significance of Jesus being the bread of our life, Jesus being the bread and, and the cup. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verses 53 to 59, "'Very truly I tell you, "'unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man,' And drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood (laughs) remains in me, and I in them. Wow, what's that all about? When my wife and I were a number of years ago back in Arlington Community Church over in Arlington, Virginia for a few years, this one Sunday a gentleman, a visitor, first time came into the church, and it happened to be Communion Sunday, and he shared this, what was going through his mind later on, he he stayed with us, but he came in and you know, the days that we used to have the church bulletin, the worship bulletin, on the front there was a picture of a goblet with, uh, with the, uh, the wine or juice uh, representing Jesus' blood, and it had something on there about Jesus' blood, and everything was about the blood of Jesus, and he said he was scared to death. And he came in, and he sat in the last row, the seat closest to the door, because if this was going to be a group of vampires... He had a quick way out. True story. This is what he told me. What is all this talk about drinking blood? Anyway, in any other context, it would be a little bit kind of creepy, wouldn't it? The communion dining table is set before us this morning. At the end of the service, we're going to share some bread and juice, which represents the body and blood of Jesus, which we'll be eating and drinking. But what's that all about? What's the significance? Often the the words of Jesus, as we've gone through the Gospel of Matthew and as we read ourselves in other Gospels, the words of Jesus are often quite difficult, quite harsh. His words often shocked his listeners even the older and wiser men of the temples, the ones who were well versed and well studied and instructed in the scriptures. But Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Now, to us, that doesn't sound like a huge deal. I mean, we've grown up with that phrase all our lives in Sunday school and beyond. It's kind of, it's kind of curious, perhaps, but not enough to get us bent all out of shape. But not so for the Jews. You see, first, first of all, the term I am. I am the bread of life. I am had a very specific meaning to them. R.C. Sproul wrote, uh, p- points out that the Greek word translated I am, normally one, one verb is used, one verb form. But he says when Jesus said I am, he does something extraordinary. He takes two verbs and puts them together. And while it may sound a bit redundant, the literal meaning is I am, I am. Or I, even I, am. And what's still more amazing is that this is the precise way that Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, is translated in the Septuagint. Now the Septuagint, of course, is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And there we read, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Identical to how Jesus' phrase, I am, the bread of life. And we find that every time Jesus used the term I am, and uses that metaphor, he is emphatically stating that he is Yahweh, the great I am of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And these phrases are much more than just a figure of speech. They are claims of deity, and landed Jesus in trouble every time he spoke them. After saying, I am the bread of life, it says, many of his followers bailed on him. After claiming, I am the light of the world, the Pharisees mocked him, stated, I am the good shepherd, the crowds denounced him, and after proclaiming, I am the resurrection and life, the case against Jesus was clinched, and the chief priests began plotting his death. So Jesus already shocked them by using the blasphemous in their minds, personal pronoun, I am. And then in in, in our verses that we read, he says there in 53, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now these are harsh and shocking words in those days, and still are today if you think about it. All the Jews knew that the drinking of blood was a horrendous sin. In the Old Testament book of Leviticus, Moses himself said, The life of every creature is its blood. That is why I have said to the Israelites, You must not eat the blood of any creature, because the life of every creature is its blood. Anyone who eats it must be cut off. But here in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, we have Jesus saying that we need to eat his body and drink his blood. (laughs) He's talking cannibalism, for goodness sake. In verse 60, it says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? We can't. Why did Jesus say such difficult things? (laughs) Why was he so harsh? What was he trying to say, and how can we understand these words of his? Well, to really get a handle on this, we need to go back to verse 25 in John chapter 6. And before we read that, we need to know that Jesus didn't just start talking about this just out of the blue. In the beginning of chapter 6, we, we, you would read the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, 5,000 men plus women and children. And then he left the crowd, but the crowd followed him until they found him. And with that in mind, he it goes right into verse 25 chapter 6. Listen, if you have your Bibles, you can open to it or just just listen along. John 6 starting with verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake after the feeding of the 5000, they asked him, "Rabbi, when did you get here?" Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent you. Jesus knew the thoughts of those that were there in the crowd. Those thoughts were not of the things of heaven that Jesus was trying to explain, or even on the the fascinating teachings that they heard coming out of Jesus' mouth. Their minds and their thoughts were on the bread. Or at least on things that Jesus could do for them. Or what Jesus could give them. Jesus, do something for us. Jesus, give us something. Now give us something else. Give us a little more. What are you going to do for us now? Isn't that often the case with people? Yes, even in the church, unfortunately. We kind of think, okay, I I came to church this morning. What's he going to do for me? I give my tithe. How much is he going to bless me? I teach Sunday school and youth group. Where are my blessings? And that's why Jesus says to them, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent you. Those are the words that are the most important this morning, to take note of. To believe in the one he has sent Believe in Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that he's going to repeat that four times in this dialogue of his. Everything in our life amounts to nothing in light of eternity. Food is nothing. Work is meaningless. Money is worthless. Friends, they'll pass away. But Jesus Christ, that's what's left He is the one that will endure. Jesus says, believe on him, the one God has sent. But the people that were there listening to him, they they weren't getting it. They were not understanding what Jesus was trying to say. And I think that's why we find that as Jesus began speaking to them here, his words became more and more harsh. They became more strident. They became more shocking as he went. Look at verses 30 to 33. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Again, what are you going to do for me? What are you going to do? What are you going to give us? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, you remember the story back there in the Old Testament when they were wandering in the wilderness. And we find that Israelites were, were wandering there for 40 years and they were unable to find things to eat. And so God miraculously provided manna for them every, every morning. And here in our passage, Jesus kind of puts a twist on that story. He's he's telling them that the manna that the Israelites found wasn't the real or true bread that came down from heaven. Because every morning they had to go back out and find enough manna for that day. And even if they did find it, um, the, the manna certainly didn't give them eternal life. It only lasts for one day and then it's spoiled. So after Jesus debunks their holy manna, that they had in their minds. He then goes on to say that he himself is the true bread that came from heaven. And his point being that in the same way that we have, have to eat bread and keep us alive and strengthen our bodies, we need to continually eat of the spiritual bread to keep our spirits alive and strong. Now those, again, that were there listening, standing around uh, Jesus, still... Didn't understand. And so he continues. In verse 34, Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Okay, <laughs> Give, 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 give. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as, as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me. It goes back to next week. No condemnation, right? I will lose none of them that uh, he has given to me. But I will raise them up at the last day, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. When Jesus said in verse 33, for the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, the thoughts of the crowd were still on bread, It's evident in the fact that, uh, or in in verse 34, when they said, Sir, from now on, give us this bread. that was the same response to the woman at the well, remember? Jesus had told her that uh, he would give her water that would uh, keep her from thirsting again. again, And she said, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come back to, to draw water anymore. Their eyes and minds were focused on the material things. It would be so simple that way, wouldn't it? If Jesus would just give them bread every single day, their lives would be so much easier. They'd have to hardly have to work anymore. But Jesus had to be very clear, and he had to correct their thinking. He says it's he himself that is the bread of life. He wasn't talking about Wonder Bread <laughs> Now, I think he surprised them when he said that Moses didn't give the Israelites bread, the bread of heaven. But now he shocks them by saying that he himself is the true bread from heaven. He claims that he alone can satisfy the hunger in their lives. And in verse 35, he says, He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. To be truly satisfied in life. To be truly satisfied in life, we must believe in Jesus Christ. Believing doesn't simply mean that he was a great historical figure and he did some neat miracles, or even seeing, uh, seeing him and believing that he is the Son of God. There's a lot of people who say, yeah, probably. But we must believe in him. Even the demonic spirits believe that he is the Son of God, but they don't believe in him. And this means that we must be willing to give our whole lives to him completely and wholly. He tells us in verse 40 that, uh, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That was a hard concept for the Jews to get a hold of. Listen to verses 41 and 42. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Ridiculous. If you think about it, try to put yourself in their place. If you were there, a part of that crowd, listening to what Jesus is saying, what would you think? Wouldn't it be hard for you to understand And accept that concept, too? I mean, this is crazy talk from a crazy person, right? That's what we think today. But Jesus didn't stop there. His words became even stronger and even harsher. Verse 43. Stop grumbling among yourselves. Jesus answered, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up of the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is a bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. That's tough. Quite literally, this means that if we want to believe in Jesus, we must eat his body. Just as our physical body needs nourishment, in the same way Jesus says that our life has a need for God. This is how God created us. That's the reason why everyone in the world, everyone in the world searches for God. People say, I'm not searching for God. I'm looking for happiness. I'm looking for satisfaction. I'm looking for fulfillment. I'm looking for meaning. They're looking for something that will satisfy. and Folks, that's God. They just don't know it yet, but they are searching. There's an emptiness, a hunger that needs to be filled. That's why Jesus came into the world, to fill that emptiness, to fill that hunger, to satisfy. He can do that if we ask him to come into our lives. Not only do we ask him to come into our lives, but we need to ask him to become our lives. That's what Paul is referring to when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. But even now, the Jews that were listening still didn't get it. So the words of Jesus became harsher. Verse 52, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Then he goes on to say, For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me, those are difficult words, the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on the bread will live forever. Three times in these verses, Jesus repeated the fact that if you wanted to believe in him, you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. These words were harsh. Too over the top for these Jews, because Moses had said that it was against God's law to drink blood. It would be a horrible sin. And this is incomprehensible to them because on on one hand, Jesus says he came down from God. On the other hand, he seems to be saying that you're supposed to sin gravely against God because the Old Testament says you can't do that. It wasn't computing in their mind. But think about it a minute. You see, the problem with the Jews were having is that they thought He was asking them to cut up his body in pieces and eat it. And he was asking them to take a goblet or or a glass, pour it with his blood, and drink it. Why they asked a the very obvious question: "How can this man give us his flesh to eat?" It's true that the words of Jesus were difficult, but they became more and more difficult, because those who were listening didn't understand the fact was that they didn't want to understand, or they refused to understand. So what do we do with this passage? <laughs> Ourselves and how do we understand his words? Do we have to actually eat his flesh and drink his blood? Or as we partake of the communion elements together, does the bread actually become pieces of his body and, and, and the juice actually become his blood? No, absolutely not. So what's he saying? There are people in churches that have intellectually believed in Jesus. But you could say that they haven't, excuse me, you could say that they've just tasted Jesus. But to really believe in Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we need to go beyond tasting to eating of him as we would do with a piece of bread. When we eat something, we put it into our mouth and we begin to chew. How many times are you supposed to chew something before you swallow? I've forgotten. We usually take a lot of time eating because we enjoy it, right? We love it. It's great. We usually eat three times a day because of our hunger and because we enjoy it. And as we eat, all the vitamins and the nutrients go into our body, which in turn then gives us the strength to grow and to work and do what we need to be doing. And just as the bread supplies our bodies with strength and nourishment, Jesus, the true bread of heaven, has come to strengthen and nourish his people spiritually, to change their lives, to bring a spiritual and eternal life to all who believe in him. Jesus has to become the Lord of our life. We need to spend a lot of time with him. We need to read his word on a regular basis. That's eating it. We need to chew it. We need to study it. We need to ponder it. Excuse me. And if we ponder it, that's when we're really going to understand what God's Word is saying to us. When we begin to understand His Word, it then begins to permeate our whole being. It'll begin working in us and begin to change the way we think. It'll begin to change the way we act. It'll begin to change the way we react, change the way we talk. His Word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will infuse us with faith and strength so that we can then grow in our faith In Jesus Christ. When Jesus used the word, I am, he was pointing to his unique divine identity. In essence, the statement says, I, the Lord God, am here to provide you with everything you need to sustain your spiritual life. For Jesus to say that he is a bread of life is for him to say, I am the sustenance of your life. And if we do this, we will begin to practice God's Word in our life, and the Holy Spirit will fill us, and He'll change our lives in order to walk according to the Spirit of God. Now, sometimes we, we can get overwhelmed with all that we think that God probably wants us to do. But as the psalmist says, fret not. Fret not. He says, Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, Seek first what? His kingdom. And his righteousness and all these other things are going to come uh, take place as well. will all be given to you as well. And as we begin taking Christ in by reading and ingesting his word and being obedient to it, he will begin to show us what he wants us to do, including making relationships right with one another, spending more time with him in prayer, studying his word more to grow in our faith and to share then what we have learned with others. It's actually just what he wants us to do on a regular daily basis. This is, should be our normal life. That's what he's talking about in our passage here this morning. Jesus needs to become so much a part of our lives. It's as if we've eaten him and ingested him into our being. And then like Paul, we can say, it's no longer I that live, it's Christ who lives in me. I know a young man who tasted Jesus most of his life. He was brought up in the church, went to Sunday school. As he grew up, he played the piano or organ as well. He continued to go to church as, as he got older. He started his own business, and, and he was happy for a while. He was making uh, plenty of money uh, on his own, but something was missing, Figured he need to get married, and so he married a, a good Christian gal and was satisfied for a while. This is great. But he's always looking for something more. He bought a big, big, a big house in a nice neighborhood, made himself feel good. This is good. I'm well thought of. Feeling pretty good about himself for a while. Had a kid, had two kids, let's have a third, had three kids. Picked up a second job, you know, three kids, you need more money, right? Picked up a second job full time, two full salaries, really feeling satisfied. This is great. For a while. Had a fourth kid. Still didn't quite do it. Still wasn't satisfied. Something was missing. We need to move. I need to get a bigger job, a more influential job. New house, new, new surroundings, that, that'll make me happy. So they did. More money, bigger SUV, you know, for all the kids, with all the bells and whistles, everything was on it. Bigger house, beautiful pool in the backyard. That'll make him happy, satisfied. But it didn't. He tried everything else. Only thing he hasn't changed is his wife. Must be the wife. I tried everything else. I'm still not satisfied and happy. I'll be happier without her. So he left her. Left the church. Left God. Why? Why? Because he had not taken in Jesus. He had only tasted him. He had not eaten his body and drunk his blood. Jesus was not living in him. Therefore, he could not find satisfaction. Stuff is not going to do it. Only Jesus, only Jesus can satisfy. Have we truly submitted our lives to the point where he controls our thoughts He controls our emotions. He controls our hearts. He controls our actions. Do we truly, truly love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength? Folks, unless that satisfaction is met by Jesus Christ, we'll always be seeking Always be searching, tasting Jesus by playing church and trying to be good doesn 't cut it. Have you allowed Jesus to do that in your life? And the question that we started off with is a question where we end with: Is He the bread of your life? as we prepare ourselves this morning for communion. I want you to listen to this song sung by Dallas Holm called The Image of a Man.